Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WindDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that WindDailySports doesn't just cover golf. They cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. WindDailySports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in WinBig or Green, you will get one week free of WindDaily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week for all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA DraftCast, where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page and make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA DraftCast. Let's do it right now. PGA Nation, we are back. The American Express, Palm Springs, California. A bunch of courses we're going to this week. So it's not one. There's going to be a few. So we really do have Spencer's work cut out for him. We got the gang back. David, welcome back tonight as well. We'll start with you, David. How you doing this evening? I'm awesome, mate. Um, it's great to be back with you guys and, and see you all. Um, I did my best from the audience team last week to take down our special guest, uh, Jason Sobel. Unfortunately, we were thrown on the bus massively by Sia reaching for Lucas Glover in the last round. <laughs> listen, um, listen, the audience, wanted Robbie, the audience wanted Robbie Shelton with the last pick. I did. It was also yeah, and, just and as to be fair, I mean, that, That's a fair comeback because I also wanted Robbie Shelton for the last pick, so um, I, I can't uh, really do any better. But um, no, it was a great show and um, awesome having Jason on. It was, it was another massive week. You know, the tips have just been on fire, right? I was um, calculating the the ROI across the first two tournaments because first tournament in play we had John Rahm at five points who obviously um, had the comeback win at plus nine fifty, and then last week we had David Lipsky who tipped at one fifty. So the ROI across the first two events is one hundred and sixty two percent. Now is it going to be that for the whole season? No. Um, being over twenty percent for a tipster is like putting you in the top echelon of best tipsters in the industry, but it is a nice figure to read. Well, hold on. So while you are hot, right, we acknowledge that, the audience wants to know, we're used to seeing you buttoned up, suit and tie, looking good. You're here now. Just a regular shirt. Are you on vacation? Are you just like, listen, I made all this money already. I'm going casual mode. What's going on? Yeah, no, just a bit casual at the moment. Um, it's kind of like down season for work and there's not that many people back off. Um, like it's summer here in New Zealand. It's like kind of like 26 to 28 degrees Celsius. So a lot of people are like outside enjoying the sun and a lot of people still on holidays and stuff. So it's pretty relaxed vibe around here. But don't worry, the suit and the tie will be making an appearance throughout the season. I love it. I love it. Spence, I see you're wearing the Golden Knights hat. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I mean, I would have been doing better if I didn't come in last place in the contest last week. And Jason put together... I mean, so we he's the third person who has come on as a guest and has won. I don't know if anybody's beaten us by going six to six. And that lineup was in the top, I want to say 500 or so of like the really big $5 contests out there. So congratulations to him for a really good week of picking. Um, as David said, I mean, if, if you're picking 20% winners though, I mean, that is like the top of the top of what you can do on it. So yeah, there's going to be regression on that end of it, but you know, I, I don't have any reason to believe that, David, if you're in the win daily, 
Discord that he's not going to continue to be in that 20% range. So congratulations on the good start to the season there, David. And for those of you who regularly watch our show, you know we are prone to ride a heater. We get hot at mm. times, and we ride that for a streak. So if we're in it now, now's the time to jump on board. See ya. How you doing tonight? Hey, we got trash talk in, in the chat. Nathan May says, going to need to send Spencer an avalanche hat, I see. <laughs> Love that from Nathan May. I'm doing well. Uh, so good to have Jason on last week. He crushed us. Hey, Spencer, props to you. You got him off of Kurt Kitayama, and I know he made the cut, but kind of a poor finish. So we all kind of contributed to each other's teams in, in certain fun ways. But the Windilly Discord, I got to give Spencer, you and David uh, specifically a shout out because what you guys have been doing with the actual picks and, and uh, showdown stuff, like it's been extremely valuable. I don't think there's been a better time to be in the, the golf Discord chat for Windaily Sports. And I've been with Windaily for four years. Those of you that have been there in there with me, I think you can vouch for that. I'm not just talking to talk. Uh, that it's it's an actual true statement. So I'm like, we got 32 weeks of this. By the way, we, we've got course rotation season going on right now with next week and the week after that. So I think it's going to be kind of annoying, but I'm not as frustrated with the course rotation, Joel, this week because to me, and we're going to get to Spencer's uh, course breakdown, but the courses seem pretty similar. We know that La Quinta is probably going to play a lot easier than, than the other two, and that stadium is probably the hardest one. But you know, generally speaking, you're not going to have like different skill sets at these. So I'm looking forward to what Spencer has to say, but I'm not as frustrated and annoyed about the course rotation this week. And I also think it's kind of cool to have a 54 hole cut. I don't want to have that all the time, but I just think that's a kind of a cool, unique feature. I agree. I like the change up week to week, just a little something different, uh, keeps things fresh and interesting. Before we dive into the course breakdown, because I know Spencer, you have your work cut out for you this week. Uh, I will just highlight, right, this show is typically about an hour. And that's all we get on here each week. But we are, like, there's more than four of us. or There's probably eight or nine guys on the team producing content for every tournament in Discord, on Win Daily. It's only $5.99 a week, right? $5.99, the amount of information that you're getting for simply $5.99 is outrageous. Go ahead and sign up. And while you're doing that, I know you guys are rushing now, but on your way, feel free to hit the like button. Give us a follow. It goes a long way. And for a little tease of what you get, Spence, hit us with the course breakdowns for this week. So we've kind of touched on this, but the field will be required to rotate between the stadium course, La Quinta, and the Nicholas tournament course from Thursday to Saturday, which gets highlighted by an abnormal 54-hole cut and the top 65 players in ties heading back to the stadium for one final chance on Sunday. Unfortunately, with all of that being said, this is where the problems start to arise when we try to internalize the ideal way to view everything in front of us. Look, the rollover data, and, and I think Sia brought up a really good point that I'll get to in a second, but the rollover data has been less than pertinent since each course demands something different. You know, you really don't need to look any further than how challenging it can be on a typical week to identify just one stop. And here you got to do three. Now, the one thing I will say to that is, I do think there are some similarities to the properties that we can look at. And I actually tend to think that when you get these sort of venues, the best way to do this is to try to emphasize the parallels between the three properties rather than find the massive differences that are going to come into play. I mean, I guess technically you could go that route, but one, we don't have the stat tracker available on those other two courses. If we had numbers, I'd be more inclined to be more aggressive with that route. But with us not having that, I would prefer to just find the similarities and move from there. So 
We see some of that come to fruition when we dive into the par 72 and sub 7,200 core of all three stops. And then the one significant corollary between all three properties originates of the ease to score on the four par fives. Golfers that have been able to demonstrate an edge on those holes have typically been the ones who have catapulted themselves up the leaderboard. Although the real answer to that still comes down to how you're going to handle the marginally more difficult stadium course and nine holes that will have water that come into play. Uh, some combination of total driving. I used it mostly geared towards accuracy. That was a 65-35 split for me when I looked at total driving. Uh, I do want to point out that when I did better golf with Nick Brettwish, he went more in the direction of distance. And maybe that's a unique way to try to separate your research this week. But I think at least at the bare minimum, some sort of total driving is a good place to start your research if you want to avoid the tournament ending danger of the water. And then the extensive bunkering can make finding fairways imperative especially when you realize that they produce around the highest birdie percentages on tour yearly when you play from the short grass. So for me, it's a lot of recalculated weighted proximity. I think from under 100 yards, over 200 yards, 150 to 175, those are the three big ranges I'm going to look at there. And then it's kind of just throwing in all of what we know about historical data at these venues over the past five years. Like there are some things that we're not going to be able to identify and that are not quantifiable. But we know that there's a Pete Dye course. We know that there's a Nicholas track. We can dive in and put some of those numbers. Scoring has generally been easy on these courses if you do avoid the trouble here. So I'm going with more of what I can tell you with certainty is going to take place here rather than trying to create something that's so outlandish to where I big brain the situation to the point where, you know, yeah, my picks are going to be unique, but they're unique in a bad way because I'm going with things that we don't know to be true. I love it. I love it. I think it's good. I think one of the most important things to take that I'm taking from that also is, you don't, you know, you can treat each week different, right? Your process, yeah. what have you, you don't need to take the exact same process with three different courses here. Um, we're, we're probably going to have to treat that a little bit differently. So, and, um, and real quick, I think that's when you know that Spencer's sort of thinking this through, right? Because it's, it's one thing to, just go through the same process and just and just try to get granular on each course and try to differentiate. But, you know, at, at a certain point, that becomes noise. So there's going to be certain weeks where it gets really noisy and there's going to be certain weeks where that granular stuff really actually matters and, and might differentiate you from the field and, and or, or, or in the betting market for that matter. And so I just, I, I appreciate the idea of Spencer being like, you know what, you know, there, there's certain things that I could say here that I'm just not going to because I'm not 100% sure it's going to be helpful. And, I, and, and and that's a rare occurrence, right? And so I just think it's really cool that, Spencer, you thought that through and just kind of didn't want to deliver the same sort of thing because maybe it's just not going to be that helpful. Yeah, it becomes counterintuitive to go that route. You end up making worse picks, in my opinion, if you start adding things that are just not proper for this course. Like, the, look, I add a lot of information and I have a lot of numbers that I run through. The worst thing that you can do is to throw numbers out there just for the sake of saying that, like, this sounds really smart to say it this way. Like, that's never going to be where I approach it. Like, I'm going to try to run this from the most optimal standpoint. Doesn't mean I get it correct every single week, but I'm going to try to run it from the most optimal standpoint possible and then go in from there and try to figure out, you know, at the end of every single tournament, I try to figure out where I was right, where I was wrong and try to make adjustments for future years with it. So... I mean, if everybody knew how much time I spent on the research process to put all of like the stats together the way that I do, I, you know, it's, I, it's a thing I eat, sleep and breathe with it. So it's not just something that's like fly by night. These numbers sound good to say, let's go with this. Like there's rhyme and reason behind either the really aggressive approach 
or the mundane rudimentary route of being more simplistic with it? Uh, The icing on that cake is I'll add to prove that he's telling you the truth. There's a reason why people who play every week, who get all the information they want, still go to Spencer's models to find out what he did because Spencer does go really in-depth. He has great numbers, and it obviously produces great results. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead again and draft against him with all the information that he has, thinking that that's a good idea. Uh, I'm going to pull the draft board up now. The draft order for tonight is going to be Sia and the audience leading us off. So while I am going through this explanation, be sure to start thinking about who you want to go with first. They're going to be followed by David, Spencer, and then I will be picking fourth. This is a snake draft. For those of you who are new to the draft, as Sia mentioned in the chat, um, we do a snake draft like you would your fantasy football drafts, one through four, four through one. You pick your six golfers just like you would any other DraftKings lineup, and you need to stay within salary. So uh, you can't just pick all the best golfers. You need to pick strategically to make sure that you can build a balanced lineup, or at least a lineup that has six golfers that will help your lineup compete. Um, with that being said, see ya. Audience. We've already got the first pick. The audience is on top of it. And for the record, audience, uh, once David makes his pick on the way back, you guys can start nominating because we're, we're going to need two picks from here on out. But it's going to be Tom Hoagie. Uh, you know, this is this shouldn't be a surprise. I, I tweeted about Tom Hoagie yesterday. I try to nudge the audience to nominate Tom Hoagie or at least affirm my nomination. And we got a few people on board here. He's 8,400. It's an insanely good price. He's probably going to be chalky. Spencer, I want to go to you there because I'm not looking at ownership right now. But the history here is great. The recent form is very, very good. The approach play is pristine. Uh, the, the wedge game is pristine. He, he's going to keep it in the fairway. There's just nothing wrong with Tom Hoagie. If you put him at Genuinely, if you put him at 9,100, I'd probably prefer it because ownership would be lower. But I think if you put it at 9,100, you'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like Tom Hoagie could be right there, especially at this course or at this set of uh, these set of courses. So I don't think I need to say too much more about Tom Hoagie. We can, David, we can go right to you. But Spencer, I do want to ask you, is he tracking as one of the more popular guys based on this very low price? Yeah, 17.8% is the total I have on him. That would be the fourth highest owned guy in my model right now. Should be highest, in my opinion. And it might end up going that direction. There's somebody um, that I'm sure will be picked shortly that's a little bit above. But, um, I mean, it's a mispricing at the bare minimum with it. Right. All right. I mean, just because we had uh, we 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 had a prolonged start, let's just go. Let's just get to it, David. I want to hear your first pick. Yeah, so, I mean, it's always an interesting spot when I'm one before Spencer because it means that I can take a dra- draft a golfer in the first round and then Spencer can declare his entire lineup ruined for the, um, the rest <laughs> of the show. Um, and I've, I suspect that within my call, I might have two players this week that Spence is also going to be interested in. Uh, the first guy that I'll be taking is a product of UNLV, which we know that um, Spencer loves, um, and it's Taylor Montgomery. Taylor Montgomery for me, I mean, this this course for me, right, I'm looking, one thing that that I do think is going to get missed is driving distance. I've seen a lot of um, information out there about, you know, about putting being, this being a putting contest, a lot of information about this being driving accuracy. But we've also seen at tournaments like this on some of these shorter courses that really being able to attack those par fives, as Spencer alluded to, is an advantage. 
Taylor Montgomery's kind of beautiful in the fact that he's got that distance off the tee if he does want to use it, but he's also an extremely hot putter. He's one of the best putters on tour. And if we just look through his last tournaments, I mean, like this this just absolutely blows my mind. Since July, he's played in 12 professional golf tournaments. He's finished in the top 15 in 11 of them. 11 out of 12, he has finished in the top 15. Now, if this was any other golfer named other than Taylor Montgomery... Would they be available for 8,900? The answer is no. So my question for you, David, and I think it's an, it's a question you likely anticipate, is when you look at how he's doing it, it seems like it could be shaky. But, I mean, to your point, the finishing positions kind of tell the, the, the entire, the global story. But is there an issue with potentially just a, a crash and burn somewhere? I, I think the answer is probably no, based on how, like, how consistent he's been but is that is that a worry of yours i mean bear bear in mind right like it, it often gets thrown about by tipsters of like putting's a volatile stat and it is putting is a volatile stat but there are still better putters than other putters on tour and what we're really looking for is actually regression to whatever a person's baseline is so for example if someone's a poor putter and they have a really good putting week you can expect them to return to being a poor putter pretty quickly whereas if someone's a good putter and then they putt well again you know that's not something that we expect to regress as much just from the fact that that's already a skill set that they they um they have within their arsenal so i think it's about the volatility and the speed of that regression that sometimes people get confused that just because someone's a good putter doesn't necessarily mean that then next week they're going to suddenly have a bad putting week yes it's always a risk it is going to be a little bit more volatile but taylor montgomery at this point has shown that he is consistently one of the best putters just in the same vein that denny mccarthy is that's a really great answer when it, in, in terms of tailoring it back to his baseline. And his baseline is clearly higher than almost every other golfer on tour at this point with the sample size that we have. So that is, uh, that, that's really a perfect answer, in my opinion. Spencer, it is on you. Now, I am guessing, Spencer, that the audience and David stole your top two picks. That must be the case, yes or no. Well, I mean, I am like trying to figure out where I want to go with this, but it's more so of a reason that I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. Then my two picks were stolen here. Um, here's how I'll say this. I, I think without giving away too much of the strategy, I think that this week people are going to want to take a stars and scrubs approach to it. Now, here's where I think that it should be different. I think you should be trying to take a boom or bust approach. And the really big difference of that comes into play is the ownership that we're talking about. I'm not so sure that I love the $6,000 range. I'm going to try to find myself in that $8,000 zone. So, I mean, those are two golfers that were taken that kind of fit that mold, but there's a lot of routes we can go this week. I don't think that you're super stuck to where it needs to be this player or there's no other way to make this build. Like it's, it's a fun DraftKings week for mm -hmm. that reason. And, with that all being said, I'm going to take the player to start who is the most popular player on my board right now or the most popular ownership player that I see on my board right now. And the reason why I'm going to do it is one, he is one of six players in my model that graded inside the top 30 of every single way that I ran it. And I think the price is too cheap. And two, it's very simple for me to get unique in any way that I want to get unique. Like I, I can almost build this lineup however it needs to go around him. So Yes, I have some concerns with making this selection. I think that this has run out of control right now. 
but I am going to take Cameron Davis at mm. 8,800. I see him at 21% owned. I think he's going to fall more in that 15 to 17% when everything is said and done. But to me, this is the most simplistic way to get a build that can kind of go in any direction. I don't tie myself into where I have to go one way or I have to go another. And pretty much everybody that I want to fill around him is going to be super contrarian. So, um, I mean, for whatever it's worth, Davis is the seventh overall ranked player in my model. Doesn't love the ownership, obviously, when he's the top ownership player that I have. But I I think if David is correct with there being distance that comes into play here, which I'm starting to believe more and more that distance is going to be a prerequisite here. And we know that the weighted proximity for him is just absolutely incredible. He's inside the top five, no matter how I run it. Like there's a reason why he came in third place at this tournament in 2021. I like it. Obviously I'll tell you when I, on Monday, I sent out a, like kind of a sarcastic Tom Hoagie tweet. And, and when I sent that tweet out, I had already bet Cameron Davis and Tom Hoagie outright. And I put like a little extra money on it that like, than I normally do part, p- partly because I hit Siwoo Kim Sunday morning in a really, really big way. So that was kind of fun. So I had a little bit of extra money to, to toss around, but I was just going to take two outrights pre tournament. That was sort of my thought at the time. So I just went a little extra on those two because I loved the value. I, I think Cameron Davis was 50 to one and Tom nice, Hoagie. Yeah. I'm trying to remember was, was around 40 to one, something like that. Long story short, those are like my two favorite guys from a value standpoint. Joel, you've got back-to-back picks, but David, real quick, Cameron Davis, is he a guy you're leaning toward or or way in daily fantasy? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be, I'll be playing him in my daily fantasy pool. I won't be playing him in the odds market. I think he's a little bit too short in those those markets. But, um, I mean, you do see some value in terms of his DraftKings pricing. It's kind of a similar situation like Taylor Montgomery. Cam Davis actually performs extremely well on these shorter courses because it actually forces him in certain spots to dial back a little bit with the driver, get a little bit more accurate. But then when he does want to attack those par fives, he has the power um, the power required and, and his putter can get very hot. So, um, um, Cam Davis will absolutely be in my player pool this week. I don't know if I'd draft him tonight, but he would have been a, a pivot if um, some of my other guys got taken for sure. All right. Joel, you got back-to-back picks, and then Spencer, it's going to be right back to you. What do you got, Joel? I appreciate it. So I am quite pleased with how this draft has gone for me thus far. I am certainly taking a stars approach, a stars and scrubs approach this week. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to take John Rom first. I mean – we're going back to we saw there's he gets spurts where he looks like he's in another class of everyone else. Uh, and this is the type of week where I love John Rom, right? We've seen him take fields where I, I wouldn't call this quite a JV field. There's enough other guys, not a JV field, but you know, there's maybe you know five less than 10 guys, maybe five or so that we'd consider all stars, PJ also has, and then after that, it, it dips off dramatically. Um, and you know, John Rahm has had a lot of success in those tournaments over the last couple of years. And this feels like another one, one where scores will be low. He obviously is the most dangerous player when it comes to these birdie fests. We've seen him do it multiple times recently. Um, and to get him at 10, eight, which while yes, he's still the most expensive golfer in the field. It's not by a wide margin. So I'm okay with taking that price tag. And I'm going to pair him with, as you guys are starting to realize who is becoming one of my favorite golfers on tour. And that's Tom Kim. Um, you know, I, I'm moving away from the idea that like, you know, the one negative people say about him, he's not the longest off the tee. And is that length going to affect him? You know, he's so good with his long irons and everything else that, and he's so accurate with the driver that 
His driver still is strength, even though he doesn't get quite as much different dis- distance as the other guys, and he can make up for it with his irons um, and how great he is with his ball striking. So um, I don't think he's going to lose another six or something strokes putting. If he finds the putter this week, I think he's out for another big week. That's a that's a fun start, John Robin, Tom Kim. I'm yeah. curious to see how this lineup rounds out, but that's certainly a fun start. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we need to expand too much on, of all people, John Rahm and Tom Kim. So I think we can move forward. I mean, I obviously love those two guys. In terms of my player pool, the one that's probably going to be in it more often is Tom Kim, is my guess. And that's more of a price thing than anything. But John Rahm, I mean, listen, you know, we, we all have that image in our head of him muttering to himself like this is a effing putting contest or whatever whatever expletive he used. But the, the fun part is for him, have you seen his putting lately? Like, it's just unbelievable how he's bounced back there. So it's just one of those things. He should have full and complete confidence coming into this tournament. So I I love the pick. Spencer, back to you. You got Cameron Davis, who's the number two pick. So one of the things with the way I built my model, and I kind of alluded to it a a little bit, I guess, is I want players that are going to be aggressive. So that's players that are going to be able to take these short par fours and go for it. It's players on the par fives that are going to go for the green. I don't usually run this aggression model in my like model very rarely ever, but there's one player for me that graded number two, number one player for aggression. And Nick made this joke. So I'm taking this joke from Nick, but not aggression of getting mad aggression in a different way here would be Taylor Pendrith at two John Rom at one. So that's the only person that Pendrith is behind. There would be John Rom. I think Pendrith's distance can play here a little bit i think that the weighted par four numbers play some 19th he's 13th for me when it comes to weighted par five scoring eighth in gir percentage out of fairway bunkers just once again this very flat approach to where i think that if you look at the top of the board and i and i'm including like players in the nine thousand dollar range like take whatever the cutoff point is and go up into the ten thousand dollar range all those players to me there's a lot of plays like i don't really care which one of them ends back to me at the at the end of the day I mean, there's sure there's some I would rather have like John Rom would have been one of the upper echelon players that I would choose to pick from that range. But for me, it's just a simple thing. Give me the two players in the 8000s that I think have some of the better equity to actually win this event. And then Pendrith only has 5% ownership at, on top of that. And then I'll build it out with one of the leftovers that you guys leave me at this point. Yeah, I love Taylor Pendrith as a player. I I, I kind of think of him right now as, and I, and I'm not really comparing the metrics necessarily, but but I think they're pretty close. I think he's a poor man's Cameron Young, and and I and I think he has so much potential, and he flashed that potential for a period of time last year, and then just kind of like faded away, and we haven't seen him in a while. But it, listen, there's so many good pivots, and and that's why this is, is truly a fun DFS week because yeah. there's a lot of good chalk that that fine play them and there's there's also some like big time names and i don't know that taylor pendrith is big time but he's soon to be big time in my opinion there's so many big time names in the 9k 8k and some in the 7k range that people just aren't going to play but have been very good but again this is one of those weeks where pivoting makes a ton of sense so uh don't be scared to do that this week in particular david you got taylor montgomery and you got a second pick. Who's it going to be? And by the way, when he makes this pick, audience, you can uh, you can start nominating golfers and, and do it freely because we have two picks. 
I mean, if we're speaking of Taylor Pendrith potentially being Cameron Young, I'm, I'm stoked with my first pick because Taylor Montgomery literally is this, this season's Cameron Young. I mean, Taylor Montgomery will be the rookie of the season this year. I, I have little doubt about that. Um, but to, to back it up, I'm going to go down that same route. And I'm going to kind of allude to the point that Joel made of it. Like, I think the risk that you run is if you have to go into that 6K range, that ownership in that 6K range looks like it's going to get extremely condensed this week into a few names. And um, I think there's potentially a risk of, like, you know, unless you've got, like, some absolute flyer in those those lower rounds um, of actually finding someone who you're going to get a bit of leverage on. So I'm actually going to jump down the air and I'm going to grab some value um, at the flat 7K um, in Bo Hosler. Wow. Bo Hostler, explain yourself. So he can get hot with the putter, but what else you got here? Um, not just can he get hot with the putter, he's actually consistently an extremely good putter. I mean, he's gained putting at every tournament since the RBC Heritage in April last year. So if we do think that putter is going to be a factor, um, that's obviously a, a huge positive. He's incredibly aggressive. He's got plenty of distance off the tee, but he can also dial that back if he does need the accuracy. And we've seen that at various tournaments as well previously. Um, he had a third last year at the AT&T Pebble Beach and a ninth in 2020 at the Farmers Insurance Open. So he's not opposed to these kind of pro-am tournaments um, in the, the California kind of region um, where he does need to, to go low, but also some of those longer rounds, which are five, six hours, which, which can be a factor. You know, some golfers just absolutely hate these kind of forced um, pro-am tournaments where um, they end up having to, to spend time um chin wagging with uh with ceos and they'd rather just be focusing on their golf so he's obviously got that going for him the fact that the the cuts 54 holes i think is also an advantage for bo hosler we're just going to get more rounds and more potential scoring from him which i think is is a huge advantage whereas you know a, a you know a normal 36 hole cut a bit more risk in terms of you're not going to get as much scoring as i think this week with that 54 hole cut we're getting an extra round out of him um the distance and putting is is what i'm looking for all right. Well, we have that's that's a crafty pick, man. I'm I'm not gonna I'm I can't wait to see how that plays out. We see his history here isn't great, at least over the last few times he's been here. But listen, I, I think your explanation is on point. So I'm curious to see how that one plays out. We already have the audience has already nominated at least one person. It looks like they've nominated a second. So Cameron Young definitely um, is is going to be one of the two guys, and it looks like. Dietrich might may have been nominated by multiple people. Uh, let's see. Am I wrong about that? No, Dietrich has not got. Oh, yes, he has gotten a second nomination. So it's going to be Thomas Dietrich and Cameron Young. That's not the direction I would have gone personally, but I don't mind either of those picks. So, Joel, let me ask you on Cameron Young. You know, I think when I first looked at him, I was thinking to myself, and I don't know that this is even right, but I was thinking to myself, man, it just doesn't seem like a good course fit for Cameron Young. But then he's 9,100. And I'm guessing, Spencer, maybe, Joel, you might be able to answer this too. I'm guessing his ownership is pretty depressed. Like people aren't necessarily on Cameron Young like they normally are. It seems like a great time to take him, right? I see about 14% ownership. Oh, well, that's pretty high. Right? high. Yeah. Okay. Can, I, can I add to that? So I, I yeah. also I see 14.9% right now. Now, when I did better golf with Nick, he said 25% is what he was seeing. He saw Cameron Young as the highest owned player on the board. I don't know if that's right, um, but Nick's ownership numbers are usually better than mine if, like, we actually compare the two. So he might be on to something that Cameron Young's going to be super popular this week. 
Interesting. Okay. I actually thought that the opposite was going to happen with him, that people were just like so many people were going to flock to guys like Tom Kim, Brian Harmon, then, or, or go down to like Cameron Davis, that he would end up getting sort of like squeezed out of that sort of echelon of golfers. But um, I guess I'm wrong there. Uh, so, you know, again, like Spencer, let me ask you, Cameron Young, is, is he a yes or forget about ownership, just from a course fit standpoint, do you like Cameron Young here? I mean, you have to like what Cameron Young brings with the short iron proximity and the distance. If we're talking about win equity of $9,000 players, I mean, if you go through the list, I mean, he has to be one of the higher win equity guys. Like, I mean, I guess according to my model, he technically is below a couple, but I don't know. I mean, if there's a big difference, if we're talking 14% and 25%, if, if you could guarantee me he'd be 14%, I'd be much more inclined to want to play him. If you're telling me he's going to be 25%, I'd probably rather try to get around him and just know that, sure, he can win the tournament. And if it happens, it happens. Okay. Do we have a Willie Z gate, by the way? So was it Will Zalatoris and not Thomas Ducci? I know Cameron Young got nominated. Is that what it was? Yeah, okay, no, so we've let's, got, we'll, we'll trade out. Make, we've got Zach, Will Zalatoris, and Nathan Zalatoris as well. Then Ivan nominated Dietrich. Model Maniac was Cam Young, and then Jack Fisher got the second on Cam Young before Dietrich. So, so we got, we got it right now. We, we fixed it, right? That's correct now. Although you the, see, the Joel? Do you see how it's done, Joel? Jesus. <laughs> all right there's all sorts of fugazi things happening in this draft right now and this is going to be a put up or protest but we move on okay real quick um david i'm going to go to you uh you know will will willie z is not a guy i'm on this tournament either but listen i don't have a problem with it i'm still a little i'm still a little worried about the back injury maybe i shouldn't be I, i'm just trying to find reasons to strike somebody out of the pool because there's so many names i love right so like xander and willie z like i I might just have still a couple more questions again with willie z it's probably not even an issue i'm just curious is is that somebody you're playing this week i i'm not too concerned about the back he's looked really fit and healthy and i mean he's had a pretty extensive time to recover from it i I alluded to this at the our season recap show that um i i do think in those first few tournaments that will zelatoris's ownership gets depressed too low because of injury fears, you know, I, I would be much more. I like. I'm, I'm certainly not playing Xander at all this week. You know, I've got some real concerns there in terms of the fact he's basically said like I'm well enough to play, but he's not like you know. I really feel I can contend this week. I think he's just like I can make an appearance, you know. So, um, the the concern for me was Elitoris would be the putter. I mean, it always is. I, I don't know if that in this type of tournament where that is going to be essential to to get to like a 26 under kind of winning total, um, whether that's going to be the play. Um, certainly he can hit his irons um, better than anyone else in the world. So that's, that's the positives. Okay. I like it. Uh, David, you got to keep talking because it's your pick. I do. Yeah. And I've been contemplating while the, the audience are debating whether they should have taken Willie Z or not, um, where I should go with this. And I just feel that with Spence having two picks coming up, there's no way that Jason Day gets back to me and I'm just going to have to take him in the third spot here. Um, Jason Day is a player that's proven history across pro-am tournaments. Um, so he has won at the Farmers Insurance. He's got a second at the Pebble Beach and numerous top tens at the Pebble Beach pro-am. You know, as I said, 
many golfers just absolutely hate these pro-am tournaments where they get paired with these um, these amateurs and kind of have these five to six hour rounds. It, it, you do require patience and slow play. And for Jason Day, you know, I think that can actually be a benefit from him. We've seen that across a variety of different results from him. He's really been on a rebound and, and he is on an upward swing, um, pun intended, um, in terms of his approach play particularly um, is coming back. And for, for Jason Day, that is always the first indicator of where success might come. Um, obviously, his putters obviously can be up and down, but I kind of like that volatility going into a tournament like this, which has proven to be one of the most volatile on, on the calendar. Uh, Spencer, response? I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. Are you mad, though? Um, So so here's the thing with Jason Day. I mean, I have never had success on this show picking him. Anytime I take him, it's gone south. You look at the Nicholas design and the Pete Dye nature of this course. He's inside the top five of my model. The irons were trending in the right direction when he had this layoff before this layoff took place. I think he's certainly in play as an option. I, I'm I'm kind of okay with whichever route that I go this week with my lineup, though. Like I said, I, I think there's so many ways to get unique and contrarian and try to build something different that I'm not locked into necessarily any route. I, I am happy that Jason Day got picked. Like, leaving Jason Day on the board is one of the worst things that can be done on this draft. Like, you guys don't – it's like the Webb Simpson disaster of last week. Justin Sell was the right play if I would have just gone that route. But Webb Simpson was on the board and I couldn't leave my boy sitting there at the end of the day. So, um, I, I mean, I, I like the Jason Day play. I, I think it's – I always like it, though. I don't know if I'm necessarily, like, the best person to talk about it. Fair enough. All right. Well, I, I guess, uh, David, you have the blessing of Spencer. So that's nice. He's not mad at you. That's great. Spencer, uh, who are you going to take? It doesn't sound like Jason Day got stolen from you. So who's the next guy? I'm going to go gross with this pick. And it's a player that's made six cuts in a row. I see him trending up in ownership. Like he was one or 2% yesterday. I see him at about 5% right now, but I am going to take Harris English at 7,600. And look, you can say that the distance might be a concern for him. Sure. Maybe that is an accurate thing, but 48th in 2020 here, 51st in 2019 and 11th in 2018. But what I really like about him is some of the weighted proximity numbers that I ran for this week. So he's eighth when I ran it from under 100 yards, from 150 to 175, and over 200. I've been saying for the last six months, if Harris English can just get his iron proximity to where I want it to be, that's where he can start finding success again. And I'm hoping between that, the weighted four proximity that he brings to the table, I mean, he's number two when we're looking at just proximity from under 100 yards in general. Uh, 24th in good drive percentage. He is 16th in weighted par five scoring. I think he's a golfer and I know markets don't really like him. So I'm kind of contradicting like on that front of it, but I think he has real win equity at that like hundred to one number in the $7,600 range. And I can't say that about every single player in that zone right now. So yeah, maybe I'm hoping like, maybe it's like a Jason day thing where you're hoping that things have come around enough to where they can become the player that they once were a couple of years ago, or in, I mean, English's case, maybe a little bit less than that, but I don't know, 17th overall for me in rank sub 5%, like I'll shoot for the moon. And to me, he's kind of the epitome of what I'm talking about of that boomer bust selection that I can get the guy for sub 5%, but I actually believe he has tangible win equity. 
Yeah, and you've gone back-to-back -back there with Taylor Pendrith and Harris English with guys like that. So I think that's a really great way to build a DFS lineup this week. Uh, Joel, it's on you. By the way, you uh, a lot of people in the chat love Harris English, including Jeff Tiffany, uh, which is interesting. Jeff Tiffany is an interesting name, right? Because usually when you have two first names as a first and last name, usually it's like two guys' names. But Jeff and Tiffany, I just think that's interesting. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Uh, hit the like button if you can, and hopefully you'll join us next week too. I think next week we're going to bring on a pretty popular guest in this golf space uh, that I know everybody in the chat is going to uh, is going to know. So I look forward to that. Uh, Brent, he loves the Brent Harris. Uh, you're an all timer, man. I, I know you. Uh, you're part of the first cut gang. You're part of this PGA Draftcast gang. Uh, you do the strokes gain narrative stuff that David Bileski usually uh, submits, but hasn't over the last few weeks. Uh, everybody, and of course, we've got um, we got Stephen Pilardi in here. So thanks for being in here as well. Joel, it's on you. You got back-to-back -back picks. You started hot with John Rahm and Tom Kim. Who are the next two? Well, funny story, actually. I actually had uh, breakfast at Jeff's family restaurant this weekend, breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay, so here we go. Nice. Uh, my picks. I gotta get. I gotta get uh, some value. I gotta be able to make my first two picks work. Um, I'm gonna go a little chalky for value. You know, my theory is, and you know, theories are theories, but I'm usually more comfortable going with the chalkier plays that are like in the seven K range because you're looking at more like twelve to fifteen percent ownership versus the twenty to twenty five, which is you know. And low enough where I feel like it's still not going to be too much ownership where it's different enough where I feel like I can win. So um, I'm okay with eating that, that 12 to 15% ownership a little bit in the seven K range. And I'm going to start with off a great week, David Lipsky. Um, his ball striking has been just fantastic. And if you want to rely on that, like, over the last about 10 tournaments he's played since July, he's gained in every tournament, but three um, that's gaining six times. And last week he gained almost six strokes on approach. His big, I guess, Achilles heel, if you will, that's the big factor for him is going to be the putter, right? And if he can come out there this week and drain some putts, he's going to be dangerous. I, I believe he's going to gain strokes with his ball striking. Um, and the putter, you know, he, we've seen him have some really bad weeks where he's lost four, four and a half. And we've seen him some really good weeks where he's gained two and a half, one and a half strokes. And that's where he is right now. So if you can ride that swing with a hot butter into this week, I think you're getting a really good price on him here. I'm going to follow him up. With a guy right in that same range in Ben Griffin. Uh, you know, Ben Griffin's been damn it. Unbelievable. Damn it. He's just in great form. To me, this is a mispricing as well and for his price tag. I mean, to get him in this low 7K range, um, where his results just are way better than that. Going back to August, he's got uh two top fives, he's got two top twenties and twenty-fourth. Um, this is a guy that, that's producing these results. Um, and if I'm going to put some guys with upside to put with Rom and Kim. I think both these guys can get me in that top 10, top 15 range. A uh, quick question. Was Ben Griffin making it back to me, Spencer and David? He probably was, right? You weren't taking him with your next pick. I wasn't going to take him. Okay. No. All right. Yeah, All right. Damn it, Joel. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I like Ben Griffin. Uh, I like what he's been doing. There's a lot of guys in that low 7K range that have been doing big things. Now, Ben Griffin's probably going to get some ownership because he has been recognized. But there are some guys in that low 7K range that are pretty legit uh, that are going to be pivots off of guys like Ben Griffin or even David Lipsky, for that matter. Uh, Spencer, it's on you. You got to hear a singlish last pick. Who do you got this pick? 
Uh, it, so I've been like playing around with the salary totals because I'm trying to figure out what it leaves me if I go certain routes with this. And it pains me to build the lineup the way that I'm going to build it because I actually think I'm leaving arguably the I mean, I guess if we're just going to say like $9,000 and up, I think I'm leaving the best leverage option on the board. And I hate doing that because I'd rather like, he'd be a really good person for my team, but I can't quite fit things in the way that I thought I was going to be able to with it. So it pains me to say this. I will instead go with a very popular place. And now I have Davis and this next player that are going to be my two popular selections. And I'm going to go with Patrick Cantlay at uh, 10,100. I really like Cantlay. He's inside the top 10 in all the metrics that I ran this week. I don't know if he's necessarily the best option in the $10,000 range because I think you can get contrarian and go a different route with it. But uh, I mean, I guess at this point I'm locked in the Cantlay and I'll just trust the data that I have on him, which for the record does state he's the number one player in my model. I don't know if I necessarily feel that to be true. I would probably rather take one person ahead of him, but the numbers say what the numbers say. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Cantley quite a bit, so I don't. I don't think any of us are going to argue with the the Cantley uh, pick. I mean, I will say that the approach play as of late has been at, for Cantley has been like a little sketchy, but I mean, I'm not worried about it. He's Patrick Cantley, so uh, I think we can move on past that one. I mean, I assume you guys like. Let me ask you this: If it's between Cantley and Fee now, and forget about ownership, I'll just go, David. I'm going to start with you, then I'm going to go to Joel, then I'm going to go back to Spencer. You just have to pick one of the two. And I'm only I'm only using those two because they're priced right next to each other. It's just super arbitrary. I just want to do this exercise. David, is it fee now or can't lie? A hundred percent fee now. Joel. And uh, and I'm gonna gonna reference actually what Zach's reference, which um as Model Maniac is pointing about, is tinkering with his bag, which uh <laughs> we mean his golf bag, ladies and gentlemen. YouTube, please don't censor us in cut our ad revenue. Um, but at the moment, Patrick Cantlay has ended his deal with Titleist. So he is currently experimenting with new clubs, experience, experimenting with new irons. That can go one or two directions. He could either find new equipment that he's previously been denied using because of his sponsorship contract and find that it really works for him. Or he could be messing about with a bunch of equipment and he could produce some abnormal results. So for me, it's an avoid and Fiendale's just been off the charts and I've, I've already spoken pretty extensively on this show about what a big year I think Fiendale's going to have. All right. So, we're David, we are on you now. After Jason Day, who you got? We are, yep. And um, I'm going to continue down the route of looking for drivers who can really spike well with the putter and... Um, you know, this, this player for me has got the added advantage of um, he can actually have some very good touch around the greens, which particularly on the Peak Dye Stadium course, which um, two court, two rounds will be played on, including the final round, um, around the green does come in to be a bit of a factor on that course. So I'm taking Wyndham Clark. Oh, now, my gosh. I can't believe you did that. I thought I was sure nobody was going to take him. He was going to be my next nomination. He's a stud. He's an Love absolute it. stud. What are, you, what are you talking about? Um, Wyndham Clark, currently, if you believe Data Golf, they have him ranked as the 63rd best player in the world, whereas his world golf ranking is 160th. So that, for me, always suggests a player that we can expect to potentially spike a win at some point um, because, given his metrics, he should be a lot higher. And just, you know, there's so many factors that come into winning a golf tournament, right? You know, it can be a bit of luck. It can be a bit of weather. It can be a bit of a bounce of a ball. 
Wyndham Clark is set to have a really big year, in my opinion. Um, and I see that starting here. Lots of distance off the tee. Proven record at shorter courses as well. Most recently, the RSM Classic, where he finished 10th. Um, so, again, it's a shorter, exposed, windy course. Um, but he's been able to dial back the distance off the tee and be accurate where he needs, but he can't access that power where he needs to. Again, I really love him over a 54-hole cut tournament um, where he can potentially put some of that scoring together, get some eagles, get some birdies, and really ramp up the scoring from my lineup this week. Yeah, I love the play. Uh, Greg Ducharme brought him up yesterday, and I, I hadn't looked at him, to be honest with you. And I took a second look, and I was like, all right, this is this is like true spike potential. This is truly like a trajectory that nobody's really noticing yet, especially with his approach play. And again, it could be a flash. It might, the, it might, he might revert back to the old Wyndham Clark that just, you know, bombs it and, and, and the approach is, is sketchy. But we could be on the opposite end of that. We could be we, we could be looking at a Wyndham Clark. First of all, he's 8,100, which I think people are going to be like, I'm not paying 8,100 from Wyndham Clark, which makes him all the better of a play. But I think he could firmly, the way he's going, and it's again, it's a small sample size, but he could firmly be in that 8K range even in, in better fields than this if, if, he, if he goes on the same, continues on the same trajectory. So I absolutely love it. Now, I'm not looking at the nominations right now. It looks like, did JT Poston get officially nominated? Or was, oh, Fowler. Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler. Okay. All right. So, Ricky Fowler's one. Did JT Poston get the second one? Yeah. Zach. Oh, Zach and Steven. All right. That's, That's it. Interesting. Spencer, let me ask you about Poston first. I think Poston's going to be relatively popular for, you know, decent reason. How are you feeling about Poston this week? I really like both of those selections. Oh, the, that, okay. the, like, we want to talk about stealing plays. Like, both of those two guys, like one of the two, is what I was hoping was going to fall back to me. So, um, I don't know exactly what Poston's win equity is for this tournament. I think he's a top 20 type player. I really like that selection. Like, this is just my personal opinion. If I was comparing Wyndham Clark to JT Poston, I would rather play JT Poston. Like I prefer him a little bit in that sense, but uh, I like those two picks a lot. I'm curious about the Fowler pick. I mean, I'm definitely not team Fowler. I understand he has improved his play a little bit, but man, I, I just don't think I can get there. It, it looks okay. It's ownership. But- it's ownership and the leverage that he creates. He's top 25 in all iterations of my model. Um, we've seen him find success here in the past. He has two top 21 finishes in three years. Like those are kind of the things I'm looking for when I talk about that boomer bust mentality with it. Like I'm trying to find guys that, like I said, when you get to the $7,000 range, there's only so many players that actually have some semblance of win equity. But even if we don't want to say that Fowler can win this tournament, like he can top 20, this at a $7,800 price tag. And I think he can very easily be a, a great leverage contrarian option at sub five percent. Yeah, that's fair. I, I didn't realize he was sub five percent. That that's that, well, I mean, I should have because it's Ricky Fowler, but I get it. All right, nice, good job, audience. Um, I'm definitely going to take credit for that if we win. So <laughs> there you have it, uh, David. It's back to you, Wyndham Clark, super sneaky play. All these have been sneaky plays, frankly. Taylor Montgomery, perhaps not, but Bo Hostler, Jason Day, Wyndham Clark. This is a cast of characters that not a lot of people are going to draft. Who's the next one though? Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a few different options. I mean, if I want, I could go to the top of the board. Uh, I, I think there's just some really obvious plays there that um, that could be made. And 
I, I'd kind of rather go a bit more interesting this week and, um, and name some players that I think a lot of people are going to be off. So I'm going to take uh, Aaron Wise, who, you know, for some reason people have decided that this isn't a great course fit for him. And I'm for, for my eyes, I'm, I can't really see why. I mean, he drives the ball long enough. He's within the top top 30 in the world, top or 30, 35th. He's 35th in the world. He's a great putter. He's got great touch around the greens. His approach play, plays elite. And if we're looking like a 54-hole cut where he can kind of rack up that scoring, you know, he's, he's the type of player who's going to be able to do that. Um, you know, Aaron Wise... I, I said in the season recap, you know, I I predict that Aaron Wise will at least have one victory this year, but I would not be surprised if he had two or three. I think his upside potential is just absolutely massive. Um, I expect he'll finish the year within the, the top 20 golfers in the world. So to get him at the, the $9,000 quote that we are, um, I think that's a, an absolute bargain. And I, I think he gets missed a bit this week with Cam Young and Cam Davis kind of floating around that, that price mark as well. Oh, I totally... Yeah, go ahead, Spencer. I was just going to say, he is this year's Sam Burns. That is mm. what I, and I think that like David hit it on the head. He's, I think he's going to win somewhere. I wouldn't be shocked if he wins multiple times. And when you look at ownership in that $9,000 section, he is the pivot away from any name you want to go to, even in the $8,000 range. Like he fits perfectly. I, I agree. I don't know why people don't want to play him. It's like we had this surge during the off season where Aaron Wise was the hot commodity that everybody wanted. And now we've gotten here, and I don't know why people are jumping off all of a sudden. I guess like we've gotten a price jump on it, but no, it's not it. That's not it. Be people because people are doing something very quick with Aaron Wise. And by the way, I agree with both of you, and I think this is the one time you'll actually be able to use Aaron Wise as a pivot. You haven't been able to the last I don't know five to ten tournaments he's played, and you probably won't be able to the rest of the season. He'll either be moderately popular or very popular because he's usually in that second tier of pricing, and he's usually on the low end of that. The reason is is because people are pulling up charts and stats and or the, like I'm looking at rickrungood.com, which is an incredible website, and I'm looking at his history at this course, and it's miscut. And then before that, it's miscut. And before that, it's miscut. So th- like that, honestly, I think that's the explanation. I'm not saying it's a worthy one. What I'm saying is I, that's the math people are doing. And I'm, I'm using math like very liberally when I say that. And I think when they see other guys like Taylor Montgomery that they've seen recently, Cameron Davis that has been repped out recently, and then they compare that to Aaron Wise's three missed cuts, they're like, oh, well, I just can't play Aaron Wise this week, which makes him the perfect play to play this week. 100%. And, and to, to add to that, this is an extremely volatile tournament where – in terms of the history of this course actually being predictive of the future, it is one of the lowest of the entire PGA Tour calendar where course form is actually a predictive factor towards future success. So miscut here makes zero difference to me whatsoever. Um, I couldn't care less about that at all. Course history just really, I mean, it's nice to have. It's always nice to have. If they don't have it, I, I really don't mind. We're not talking about Augusta National. We're not talking about Plantation or YLI, where those courses do have a very good correlation between having played there previously. And, and I think it's a, a nature of the, the course rotation of this this event, of that you've got three different courses being played. So it is going to suit a variety of players. So I, I don't have any concerns about that whatsoever. Tempering it actually a little bit is the fact he's finished second and ninth at Quail Hollow, as well as an 18th, which I think is a decent comp course for, for here. And um, the the other one would be that he's finished 15th at the Pebble Beach before. So for me, I'm like, well, you know, he, he's clearly not opposed to, to playing well in the Pro-Am. 
And I do want to remind everybody, because we've we've talked about some of these names and we've talked very highly of them in the Wind Daily Discord. All of us are going to be dropping our outright plays tomorrow. I know uh, David did that last week. I'm doing it tomorrow. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of us that are going to contribute on that end. So make sure you're in the Wind Daily Discord because, you know, we're not doing the, hey, we'll write an article Monday and we'll tell you like who our outright picks are. We're, we're kind of like waiting for a little bit more information. We're specifically putting it in the Wind Daily Discord. And if you went in there last week, you were on David Lipsky. You were on some some of these like incredible long shots that you could have top 20 um, you play in each way, depending on which book you're at, and and made uh, a lot of money. And Dave Lipsky wasn't the only guy. Obviously, the week before, John Rahm, uh, David was on him as well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of value Wednesday nights specifically in our Wind Daily Sports Discord. Okay, Spencer, it's on you. You got two more picks. Let's go. Well, David managed to finally steal my selection to really put this into a bad spot. So uh, I-, I wanted to go – even though I keep saying I don't want to go stars and scrubs at the end of it, there, there is a player that as gross as it sounds that I'm considering taking near the bottom of the board. Um, I guess I'm going to pivot off of that and I'm going to try to take another player that I think will end up being somewhat contrarian. There's, you know, I would rather have wise if I was directly comparing the two, but I mean, let me ask you guys this before I make the selection. I mean, is everybody just out on Siwoo Kim because he won last week? No. I like Siwoo Kim actually quite a bit. And I don't think he, like, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think I heard a stat, it might have been yesterday, where somebody said after the, he's had four PGA Tour that, wins yeah. or maybe three, and then after each one, he's he's been pretty bad. But I'm not worried about that at all. I think he's a great course fit. I think if he didn't win this tournament last week, I, I, I first of all, I don't think he would have been in the $9,000 range. But with the course history that he he's bringing here and what we know about him at this tournament, even if, like, David's right, like, it's 37th in my model in course predictability. It, it's not a course that I necessarily look at, but the stats work is what the main preference is for me on Siwoo Kim. He is uh, sixth in my model, seventh for upside, sixth for safety, so... I'm going to take Siwoo Kim at 9,200. That's going to leave me with just a little bit of money at the bottom of the board here. But um, I think that people might make a mistake based off of what you just said, Sia. And I don't know if that's how everybody should be thinking about that. Yeah, it's funny how people become old news. Like, And Aaron Wise is another example of that. It's like, ah, yep. oh, no, I'm not playing Aaron Wise. And then everybody's going to be clamoring to play him uh, the rest of the way. But for the record, he's eighth in my model. And I, I would never pretend that my model is as sophisticated as yours, Spencer. But Eighth is saying something at 9,200. I mean, that's that's pretty solid. And he rates out for opportunities gained, good drives, tee to green, uh, the proximities I'm interested in on approach. I mean, he's top 20 in pretty much everything, or at least close to top 20 in pretty much everything. So uh, I like Siwoo Kim quite a bit. Joel, we got two more picks. Ben Griffin, you stole from the audience and myself. Not super happy about it, but uh, let's round out your team. All right, I'm going to go with the Ben brother, and that's Ben Taylor with my first pick. Um, again, here, yeah, these are value plays. I'm going on form. You know, in his last three outings, one being, you know, just last week at the Sony Open, he gained three strokes on approach. Before that, he gained three strokes off the tee in, in both the last tournaments that he played in November, and he's really been killing the ball on approach with really good putting numbers. So if he carries over some of that into this tournament, he's going to have a really good week. And, you know, his ownership is actually fine. Like, even lower, I'm seeing it at about 9% right now, which 9 to 10%, which I'm, I'm happy to take with him at, in, at the 7K range. 
which allows me to the jam ramen came at the top. And then my last pick, I'll be honest with you, I'm I like the guy and I'm I'm glad he, he got to me here. There was three other guys that all got taken in the last two rounds as we were going back and forth that I was going to take with this pick that I no longer can. So I've had to, I had to pivot here. Uh, and I'm going to go with Adam Hadwin. And, and I'm aligned with you guys in the thought that this is probably not the best course to really prioritize course history. And he has a really good one. And I'm not prioritizing course history. But at the end of the day, he's come to this tournament and he's done well every year you come here, right? I mean, if, if you look back a little bit further – um to 2019 or 2017 we'll start in 2017 he was second 2018 he was tied for third and 2019 he was tied for second and then even 21 and 22 is 32nd and 25th so these are spectacular results not just mediocre and so i'm thinking a guy who's clearly comfortable playing here um if i can even get him in the 20s right i think with the rest of my roster i can that's a good enough result for him I was going to nominate Ben Taylor. He was one of two guys I was going to nominate uh, for our last pick. So I, I like that pick. I was actually surprised when you mentioned he was bordering on 10%. I actually thought Ben Taylor was going to be the pivot off of Ben Griffin to some degree. And I, I don't look, to be honest, just so everybody knows, I don't look at ownership until Stephen Pilardi puts his article out on windailysports.com, which is usually uh, late afternoon, early evening. Um, and it's you can see he's in the chat. Like, this is not your everyday ownership article. Let me just tell you that. And and there's only one way to find that out. But uh, he he's estimating who was that he was talking about? Oh, he was responding to uh, to, to Byron. To Aaron Wise. So yeah, Aaron Wise in the in the sub 10% range right now. Locke estimates at, at 11.4%. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff there. Uh, Spencer. Oh, by the way, Adam Hadwin, I don't think I'm playing him this week. Is he relatively popular? I mean, it makes sense that he would be, right? I see him at 11.6%. That would be the 17th highest owned player. Not terrible. Uh, I know people want to play him this week. This feels like the the Adam Hadwin week, right? Yeah. With that said, Spencer, uh, you got one pick left. Siwoo Kim was the last pick. And who you got to round out your lineup? Well, first of all, I can't tell you how much I would have rather have had Aaron Wise and maybe something like a John Ha here versus the route that I'm going to go. Um, but I will ask you guys this before I give the picks. So the answer is somebody that I can afford, uh, if that simplifies the process at all. The second best leverage play I have on the board when I look at price versus ownership would have been John Ha. The number one person, which I don't necessarily trust this because I have been burned so many times going down this route. Would you like to guess who it is as a player that I can afford? So it's 6,300 or less? Or less, yes. All right, give me a second. As I scan this, it has got to be... Oh man, this is this is this is a bad scene. Okay, so <laughs> I have how did I end up here is the problem. I have two guesses. Well, I mean, there's three guys that I think are oh, oh, I know who it is. Is it Tyler Duncan? It is not Tyler Duncan. Um, although my model likes him kind of for the same reasons. He is fifth when it comes to leverage there. So I think Kramer Hickok. Is, uh no, would I uh, Joel would you or David? Would you guys like to guess before I give it? Ryan Moore, UNLV baby. No, uh, good guess, good guess. I didn't yeah. see him on here. I thought he was higher than that. I don't know. I mean, I'm I have trepidation around making this selection. I don't know if it's ever worked one time that I've taken him. You have two missed cuts. You have a sixth place finish in the last three years. What I do like is that he's made two of his last three cuts. And the other reason that I'm at least going to go back to. 
is we're looking at a situation that you're guaranteed 54 holes. Now, I don't want to start taking the Stars and Scrubs approach to this, but I at least know he's going to get an extra round out of this than he normally would get. And on top of that, the stadium course is not a gimme. There's going to be people that are going to play that on Sunday, and they're going to implode by hitting it into the water. And you might get some negative score totals out of it. If you're in that position, like you're going to lose if like, like if you have a five to six lineup because I took Ryan Moore, like it's not going to help me win. But I think there's enough upside for me to at least feel comfortable in the spot I put myself in. Like I said, I would rather have this been Aaron Wise and John Hutt. I think that that's the better way to round this out. I kind of took the worst person in both of the spots where I wanted to go, but uh, it was either that route or it was like uh, just to throw out a couple other names. It was either like that or Keith Mitchell and Emiliano Griel, or like obviously like a Fowler Poston type thing, and somebody was the other way. Well, that makes sense. I think, I think we may have lost Sia. So he's so shocked by the Ryan Moore pick that he can't believe it. He just lost he's on the, he's left the building. He is yeah. not pleased. Um, David, I'll let you go ahead and pick, and then audience, I'll see his back. All right, audience, start thinking about who you're going to nominate as well. Do we have nominations coming? In? I, I, I kind of like the yeah. I, like the Ryan Moore I, pick. I could. Uh, I mean, they've they've the audience has chosen to draft a player before I've given my pick, so I mean, <laughs> I could be extremely controversial in this spot right here. You've given me a lot of power. Um, Leave 2,000 on the table, I dare you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just just to spite the audience. Um, yeah, look, it's an interesting spot for me here. I've got a, a few different players that, that I could take. I, I'm going to go the player that I think has the highest potential upside in what I expect to be a really volatile week. This, this tournament has previously produced one of the highest odds per winner of any of the tournaments previously. The average winning odds is 145 to 1. So, the you know, it, it has thrown out some pretty extreme results. I, I suspect this year it might go a b- bit lower, and the reason would be because of Live Golf, a lot of that middle ground of, like, the Taylor Gooches and the Abraham Ansers who left and went to, to Live Golf, Hudson Swafford, obviously, on this course as well, um, take some of that winning equity, uh, that middle ground. So I'm going to go with Sahith Tagala. I believe that he has extremely high upside. This will go one or two ways. He could finish in the top five. He can miss the cut comp- completely and have a terrible week. Kind of relying on that performance at the Phoenix Open that he's comfortable playing in the desert. Um, I love his distance off the tee. I love his putting. I love his approach play. I love his around the green. The it just gonna it is gonna depend which the gala turns up this week. But I'm happy kind of embracing a bit of that volatility with my final pick, um, especially on a tournament here which has proven to be extremely volatile. And at least I know I'll get three rounds out of him. This is exactly the sort of selection I'm talking about when I talk about boom or bust. Like I'm gonna throw the gall in my pool as a guy who's five to six percent and hope for that upside versus whatever the downside is here. This is how you're going to win a GPP tournament. I don't know if it's going to necessarily be the Gala. He might implode for all the reasons that David just said, but he also might come out and win the tournament. So I think he's somebody that you should at least consider if you're mass building lineups this week. Yeah, and and even if you're doing like, and we can take nominations now. We already have some that came in, but um, for our last pick, but you know, I this is this feels like every tournament feels like this but this one in particular especially with some of these boom options that are of low ownership this might be a good tournament to do one of those 20 maxes one of those like one dollar or three dollar or whatever dollar you're comfortable with 25 cents uh 20 maxes and 
throw some of these guys, throw some of these combinations in there. I mean, you can use optimize and go to win daily and use that, but you can do, you know, hand build it too, if you want and just build a bunch of lineups where, you know, you got a couple guys you want to lean on and then a couple boom options that you want to filter in and out of lineups. I, I really think because the pivots are so great this week, I think it's a really good week to like experiment with something like that, because I think you could, you could really hit big with some of these, Big time guys in the five to ten to eleven percent range that we know can win the tournament. Uh, it's just a great, great week to do that. Okay. Speaking of great weeks, the audience is going to win, but we need one last pick. I mentioned a couple guys. I mentioned Matthew Naismith and Carl Yuan, um, but I don't know that we got seconds from either of those guys. Uh, oh, did Hubbard just get nominated and confirmed? Because I think Hubbard was nominated earlier. And then Hubbard was, was nominated before my pick. That's where I could have gone, which, you know, I was getting some mixed messages from the audience. Bilardi, Stephen was saying, don't do it, Dave. Ivan was coming in saying, do it, Dave. Very confusing time for all of us. We can afford Hubbard. Oh, yeah, he's 7K flat. I mean, I'm not a Hubbard guy, but, I mean, if, if, if that's what the – oh, okay, so Patton says – okay, so let's do Naismith then. Naismith feels like one of those options where, like – I'm reaching for like in my old bag of tricks and it's not the time to reach into your old bag of tricks with a guy like Naismith. It's probably a time to, to pick like a, a Ben Griffin or a Ben Taylor or Carl Juan or, or something like that. How do we feel about Naismith before we, we close the the, the, the the draft portion of the draft cast out? Um, Joel, Matthew Naismith, any love here? You know, I think he, I think I like Naismith more for a tournament, for a small tournament or cash option than I would a GPP. Mm-hmm. Um, I have hesitation with his upside, but I do think, you know, he makes sense from a price perspective. And I think he could compete this week. So I think if you're going to play him for me, it would be more cash. Spencer, yes or no on Naismith? I'm going to say yes. David? I would say yes over Hubbard. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'd say yes overall. Would you say yes over um, Ben Griffin or Ben Taylor, for example? No. Would you say yes over but then, Carl? But then maybe that want. should be the answer, right? Like the, this is the kind of week where I think you just want to go with lower ownership guys. And if we know Naismith can really spike, particularly on approach, as yep. approach players extremely elite um, on his day. So, you know, if a lot of people are going down that Ben Taylor, Ben Griffin route, well, is Naismith like that disproportionately less likely to win to compare to those guys? Like probably not. So, you know, maybe. I, I yeah. just want to throw this out here really quickly. I would probably say Naismith over every single person that I mean I got I have to cut it off at some point. Like 7400 to 7000, I would probably say him over every single name. Wow. That's an endorsement. I like it. All right. Okay. Cool. Well, that's that. So listen, so Joel, everybody, we know that. Um, so the draft cast portion is done, but we normally do our first round leaders. It's a weird week, week, right? Because we have the three course rotation. And I don't know, Spencer, was it? I, I think we were talking before we went live. Spencer and David, you you guys actually have some first round leaders that you picked. My books don't offer it. I, I didn't come to the table with those. But do we want to go there now? Sure, I can run through mine really quickly. And and I think David and I did it differently. Like I went course by course with it. Uh, and I'll talk about the players I have. So I have Taylor Pendrith. That's going to be at La Quinta. I found a 45 to one. And I mean, for what it's worth, all these numbers were on points bet. That was the best prices that I saw for the first round leader market trying to condense this down. 
uh, moving to the stadium course, I decided to take three players there. That was the weakest that I could find in my model. Like I took two players that were inside the top four of my upside portion. And then I took a golfer that I really seemed to be liking the more I add to it. So that would be Harris English at 35 to one. Uh, the player that's making a run for me would be Keith Mitchell at 35 to one. And then I'm a glutton for punishment. I took Ryan Moore at 80 to one. And then moving over to the Nicholas course, I took Mark Hubbard at 60 to one. I thought that was just a good number. Like I, I obviously there was a lot of people that were intrigued about him in DFS and I understand the intrigue for it. I just don't know if I trust him over four days at this point. Uh, but I, I like what Hubbard can present from a one-off type perspective on, you know, if you look at it in reality, LaQuinta is going to have most of the stars there. Uh, the second strongest group is going to be Nicholas with Hubbard, but I don't think it's so much so that he's not in play. That makes sense. Um, I like it. Is that, is there any other ones you were going to let, or is that all your picks? Uh, that's five. It's one at uh, La Quinta, one at Nicholas, and three at Stadium. There you have it. I love it. How about you, David? I know you had a few plays as well lined up for the first round leaders. Yeah, so if you do have access to offshore markets, Bet365, um, I've noticed at the moment, actually offer a first-round leader market across the whole tournament, regardless of which course you're playing. If you do have that option, you want to try and target players who are playing La Quinta, um, that course is like it should play ridiculously easy, and it, it generally does. It has no par fours over 460 yards. It has no par fives over 540 yards. So it, it really it does have the huge potential of um, just going incredibly, incredibly low. Um, so, again, with first-round leaders, you know, it is a bit of a stab in the dark, but we're looking at players who have that volatility and go, can go really low. So playing on that course, I've got Taylor Montgomery at 50-1, to 1. Adam Hewen at fifty-five to one, Sahith Tagala at fifty-five to one, Thomas Dietrich at ninety to one, Chris Kirk at ninety to one, and Bo Hosler at hundred to one as your first round leaders, all starting on the quinter day one. I love it. Those are some good numbers to look for as well. Um, is there any anyone or anything that we want to touch on this week before we wrap up? I'll add one thing very quickly. So. I was most surprised and not, not that I'm surprised he didn't get picked because he's one of the lowest owned players when you look at like 9,500 and up, but something is telling me that Scotty Scheffler is going to win the golf tournament this week. And um, it, I mean, I was already scraping the barrel at the bottom as it was. Like if I go up to Scotty Scheffler, I'm not so sure I could have made a pick for my final pick there, but um, he's going to be a very big part of my player pool. All right. I mean, yeah, I mean, hard to not like Scotty Scheffler. Obviously, a great pick, and I'm surprised he, he wasn't even mentioned on today's show at all. Um, that's a wrap for this week. Like we said, it's a volatile tournament. It's going to be fun, a fun one to watch. It does feel like we are finally back in the swing of things for 2023. Good luck this week. See ya. What I forget? The only thing you forgot is to congratulate the team audience for taking it down this week and sports.